really need 4K. You really don't. No, 4K is, 4K is kind of cool. I have a 4K TV, but it was like the same. It wasn't that expensive. Got it on sale. It's like a few years old, so it was not much money. Yeah, those things like bomb in price. Yeah, I don't get it. I remember when like if you wanted to get like a 40 inch flat screen, it was like $2,000. <laughs> I remember in first grade when we got this like, it must have been like 30 inch like gray, disgusting TV, like, but it was flat screen. And back then, right. I think that, I think that was like 2004. So everyone right. was like, yo, flat screen. If you have a flat screen, you are rich, you are loaded. And I remember yeah. in first grade, like writing in my daily journal being like, I'm getting cable next week and I'm going to watch SpongeBob. And I remember turning on the TV <laughs> to watch SpongeBob and I was like, what, like, where do you go from here? <laughs> how does what do you it, mean? Like, that's the best of the best? Yeah, like, how does it get better than this? <laughs> Watching Spongebob on my gray TV. <laughs> and it hasn't gotten better since then. Really? Yeah, it's like <laughs> diminishing returns. It really is. Yeah. One day I'll have my gray TV again. What happened to it? I actually, it. we got a better one. But actually, there was one time that I that I was trying to plug in or, like, unplug something. And it literally, like, fell on top of me. And I was so glad there was like 30 inches because it was not enough to, you know, I mean, I didn't even crack. I didn't even break. Wow. I, didn't, I barely even cried. I got a little bit of like fiberglass in my lungs, but. That's, I mean, you can just cough that out. Yeah, you can just take a little pipe cleaner. Yeah, stick it into the airways. Scratch it through. I wish there was that. What, just like a a, a lung? Uh, like oh. those, sna- those, those like snake things that you like stick stick in your toilet. Just like a big thing that you could like pull all the way through yourself, and it would just like scrub all like like all the toxins out. Like it's all like those things. You, it's like when you use a Q-tip in your ears, and you're like, yeah, "Oh, that's yeah. so satisfying." It's just everything. Exactly. Like they just pulled all, just all waste. Like if the humor theory was true, and they just pulled out like all, it was like, "Oh, well, you got a lot of black humor," but now it's out, mm. and you're perfectly fine. That'd you just sick. have to sweat that out, though. You can sweat it out. Uh, if you go to a sauna, you can sweat out um, all your fears and uh, misfortunes. Don't go, don't go shit talking saunas. I like saunas. If you've been, of course you have. You're fucking rich. <laughs> you know there are places. Dude, why you would can you just go? go oh, I'm just gonna go this room to sauna. sweat. I'm just gonna go in this room and sweat. Have you been in really, a sauna before? Really manly. It's ambiance. Ambiance. Okay. There's nothing that. You have there's any nothing, sconces in there, Tyler? There's nothing explicitly manly about it. It's simply. You know, hanging around with a bunch of dudes and not, not you know, there's nothing bringing about, like, the masculinity of it. Let me just air out my cock while I'm chilling with a bunch of sweating dudes. I mean, you can focus on the cock if you want to, but I feel like that's kind of missing the point. You towel up, you make yourself, you know, you're not prudish, but you do kind of hide yourself away a little bit, and then you're just kind of with your buds. And mm. the smell, the aroma of the cedar wood is actually really calming as your pores just kind of give in to the equilibrium and you just kind of, you know, gel out. And all your black humor comes out of your pores. I remember one time I went to this like health club and I was the only one. There was like a steam room and a sauna and I. Hold on. What's the difference? A steam room blasts like hot steam constantly. So you're just like sitting in a cloud of steam. So it's like, suffocate. did your mom ever like when you were sick, did she ever like you would get like hot water and then you put like a towel over your head and you'd like s- sit over the pot of hot water. So you were inhaling vapors. Just make some Tyler soup. Yeah, basically, you you drip back into the water and you drink it at the end so you don't lose your nutrients. <laughs> no, I actually did sort of do that. What I would have, like, when we started realizing that I had asthma, right? Something that's supposed to um, help you out. It and like be open the start up of your memoir. Your, your airways. <laughs> this is where it all started, dude. The, the tragic irony of life for me, man. I 
it's supposed to open up your airways to have like warm, humid air. Right. So yeah. if you're having an asthma attack, I'd go in the the bathroom, we turn on the shower and just let the the steam gather. Uh, and then I would end up going to the hospital. <laughs> and I found out in years since that hot steam just makes me have asthma attacks. I'm not ready to believe that. Dude, I will go to the shower and I'll come up and be like <gasps> It's because it's, 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 it's heavier, but that heaviness pulls your lungs down. And when the lungs sink in your body, mm-hmm. this is true. This is science. Yeah. It, it stretches all the muscle fibers of the tissue that, that holds your lungs connected to your throat all the way up to your nose. So it stretches all that out because your lungs sink down. That's why people with mesothelioma in the years before their deaths actually breathe really well. And then, mm. then they die. It's like it feels like you're not getting enough air, but you're actually getting a lot of air. You're actually more getting a lot of air. Than yeah. the average person. It's just not going yeah. to your brain because of all the tumors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the glass lung. <laughs> but, okay, so I was in this health club and I was there alone. And I, the, I was the only one in like the sauna and the steam room. And I was just like killing time, just like waiting out in there. And then I remember my like vision was kind of like fogging. And I was like, ah, but that's just like what happens. And then I remember being like, <laughs> I was like, I could push it. And then I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then I was thinking, wow, nobody else is here. If I collapsed in here, I would, I would die. <laughs> and then I left. And I, you know what? I lived to tell the tale. That was just your toxins coming out, dude. I wonder. I was confronting my shadow. And you fucking ran away like a little bitch. Yeah. Oh, well. I'll find oh, that health I'm about again. to enter my inner darkness. Let me just get out of here real quick. Come on, Tyler. <laughs> My vision, it's fading. That's how I make movies, though. <laughs> anyway, enough about steam. Welcome back to Talkie Talk, guys. <laughs> how we doing? We're doing great. So good. Really good. We are still making this podcast. We're going to talk about some movies today. So I recommended that we watch um, 12 Years a Slave, which is a 2013 movie directed by Steve McQueen. Um... It is uh, written by John Ridley, and also cool that they, I think I said this last time, but they include Solomon Northrup in the writer's um, credits, I guess, because he wrote the book, because That's it is about bad. him. Uh, the IMDb, at least, says the movie is, <clears throat> in the antebellum United States, Solomon Northrup, a free black man from upstate New York, is abducted and sold into slavery, and it yep. only gets worse until the end when it gets better. Kind of. Well, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah, him. It, does, it gets better for, for one him guy. Alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the 1% of um, kidnapped slaves. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Mother <laughs> came out in 2009. Um, it was directed by Bong Joon-ho. It was uh, written not by him. He came up with the story for it, it says. But Yoon Kyo Park uh, wrote the screenplay. Um and the IMDb description for this is a mother desperately searches for the killer who framed her son for a girl's horrific murder. Or is it? That last part was me. Okay. <laughs> I added that part. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Where should we start? Um, I will start by saying I think I think maybe Parasite is Bong Joon-ho's first good movie. <laughs> That's where I'll start. Interesting. I really liked 12 Years a Slave, though. I thought it was great. Okay. <laughs> I liked both of them. I definitely liked 12 Years a Slave more, but I, I I definitely enjoyed Mother more than I enjoyed Okja. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not even close. He set the lowest bar possible for himself. I don't know. I mean, there's there's definitely times when I felt 
for the most part that I just the movie like wasn't able to kind of capture my interest for the whole thing. Yeah. But I feel like the second half of it I found much more enjoyable than the first as it, as like the plot developed and then mm-hmm. there were a lot of scenes throughout that I just like enjoyed his his sense of humor like especially in the earlier scenes when there's just like the way that a lot of characters like act and are just kind of neurotic and strange is like funny and I think that is kind of true for that's kind of present in a lot of his movies even the not as good ones right but um yeah and I'm I'll bring up the specifics when we get to that discussion do you want to start there then do you want to start with with mother okay yeah sure. we have some disagreements um so i thought it was very boring i really at no point was drawn into the story or really cared about the characters i felt like the humor actually in this one really distracted from any real stakes that it could have had and seemed kind of inconsistent too that some characters were super over the top and others weren't and again i feel like in parasite like like you said, like that is part of his style of, of that, like a little bit over the top acting and the goofy humor. But I feel like Parasite was able to have a lot of restraint with that and really carry that sense of dread anyway, even when it was going on. And I feel like this, it just sort of felt like they like took a step back from it when the humor happened. Hmm. And it just kind of felt inconsistent and not really interesting to me. And I just, the, one thing that really didn't work for me is the fact that so much of the plot hinges on the boy just hitting his head and then remembering things. Yeah. It's like those, you know, like in, in kids shows, they'll have like that amnesia <laughs> episode where somebody hits their head and then they just forget everything until they hit their head again. Yeah. Why is, why is that a staple? I don't know. I, I don't that's, know. Like, that's like a main thing that actually happened <laughs> in Hey Arnold. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. The episode where um, Gerald accidentally cracks Phoebe's head open. I remember that. With a rock. It was so fucked. Uh, yeah, he tripped her on the pier and she hit her head on one of the pegs. It was pretty bad. To be but. fair, she did say the R word, so. <laughs> had it coming. Um, yeah, that just really didn't do it for me. I don't know, it was just boring. I don't know. I, it's honestly hard for me to 100% describe why I thought it was so dull. No, I, I agree that the... I wouldn't say it was overall boring, but I would say that I found myself relying on like the entertaining moments to get me through like the rest of the movie yeah it, was, it felt like like episodic like smaller moments of enjoyment that were strung together by kind of scenes that either like something really like not much is happening or something's happening but it's not paced or presented all that interestingly yeah i, w- I think that the moments that the humor works best for me is i agree with you that i don't really think it's like like, if you're going to do something that irreverent as, like, the guy hitting his head and remembering things, like, don't make it so integral to the development of the plot. I yeah. Think. Because right. it's, like, that. that's, like, how information comes out is that he, like... Always. Is, is this really irreverent thing that has, like, not that much logic to it and doesn't emerge really until, like, further into the movie than I feel like it should have to feel, like, kind of a rewarding... It doesn't feel like it gets, like, reincorporated and you're like, oh, right, he remembers things when he hits his head. I feel like it almost did that too much, right? It, like it hinged on him hitting his head for right, any but I'm new saying, information what, to come out. When's the first time that that happens that he that he hits his head? Though I'm trying to remember, or maybe not hits his head, but he like gets hit or something. Yeah, I don't. I don't like know. that keeps happening that he gets like rocked and then he's like, wait, I do remember. I, I feel kind of split on this movie because so much of what works in this movie is a lot of what I enjoy in his other movies, and I think it's just like. Mm-hmm. 
how he I like Parasite I think is just much better because it has so much more consistency with parts of it that his style works with. Yeah, I agree with that. I didn't I mean I didn't think this movie was without merit. Um I want to say that like uh, I didn't like it, but I did see things that felt like, oh, he did this much better in Parasite. Mm-hmm. I could see him start to develop and start to really get his footing in this one. But overall, it felt like it didn't. It felt like really all those different parts that you see incorporated together in Parasite that feel super cohesive. And this one, it felt like they were really disparate and just all over the place. And he hadn't yeah. really figured out how to make it all mesh. Yeah, it was like he had the foundations of the things that work, but he didn't know kind of how to connect it to the movie all that well. Yeah, like absolutely. A, a lot of the stuff that worked for me in this, which I found similar to Parasite, is like a lot of the physical comedy worked for me. Mm-hmm. I really feel like he has a really good command of getting his actors to understand like how he wants them to move. Like yeah. I feel like after, in the scene where it's revealed that the son actually does kill that girl... Spoilers. <laughs> um, he the way that he like keeps checking his phone and like rubbing himself and like undoes his jacket like halfway and just the, I feel like he yeah. I really like that physicality. I really like the scene where she goes to confront the mother or she goes to like the funeral of the girl that her son killed and uh, they're leading her out into like the courtyard all following her and the mom's just like drunkenly like sloshing the rice liquor everywhere. Like I yeah. I, I thought that was great and like a really yeah, good. Funny a well choreographed scene with like a lot of people. And I think Mm. a lot of that physical comedy is kind of what kept me through the movie. I especially like the scene also when she's like walking through the rain with the golf club and she has the dinky glove like stuck on top of the, of the golf Mm -hmm. club and it's like flittering in the wind. And it just, that does a really good job of communicating just how like flimsy and kind of like how on a precipice her whole, her whole situation is. And that really felt like it communicated everything that it wanted to communicate well. But then they're, they're, for so much of the rest of the movie, there's just like kind of not a lot happening. Yeah, like, that was my thought. And when it does happen, it just seems like it happens. The moment that I really, a moment I really didn't like, that I felt like could have been so much better, is when the son all of a sudden says, I remember now, you gave me pesticide in a drink. I remember. It just did, like, I felt like that could have been a, a impactful moment. But I mean, first of all, I think that one, he literally hit his head. And that's how he remembered it. And second of all, the mother says, how would you remember that? You were five. And it's like, yeah, how would, he would never have known that. And I think she would have told him, oh yeah, by the way, I gave you some pesticide in this drink. Sorry about that. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't. It seemed like information he wouldn't have had in the first place. Well, I think the logical jump of understanding that she gave it to him with the purpose of killing him might have been that's that's kind of a bit of a reach i guess she's just openly pouring pesticide and like here have a sip it'll be good for you <laughs> well she put it in a bottle and pretended it was an herb that's what i'm saying yeah how would he how would he know that that's what happened well i think maybe he pieced it together in his memory i, I don't really have like that much of a yeah, problem true. he has that, a really honestly. um he has a really good <laughs> cognitive ability i don't know i don't i don't hate that scene i like that it was introduced i actually thought that was like kind of the one nice or like kind of the more rewarding usage of that head hitting thing, because like up until that point, it had been kind of like a solely positive source of information for the case to go off of. Yeah. And then he like kind of drops that on her that he, you know, remembers this horrible event where she basically like gave up on him. Right. And caused him his permanent brain damage. 
I don't know if that's I was I was struggling with that too. I was like, is that what happened, or did she do that because he was already I don't know. Five year olds. Oh are no, dumb I anyway. thought I thought that was definitely the implication. Yeah, that she poisoned him, and I think that's why she has so much guilt and ends up killing the guy that they are like framing for it. Right. Or not the guy they framed, the old man who she was like gonna. Yeah. Yeah, I think that desperation comes from the fact that she knows. It's her fault. <laughs> if this hadn't happened, yeah, right. Yeah. If she hadn't poisoned him and, and destroyed his brain, this wouldn't be happening. And I think it explains, too, why she seems really off as well. That they had this, they drank this pesticide and now they're both kind of fucked up. Yeah. That's why she's so overprotective of him, too, because she totally ruined his life. Right. Before she was just trying to poison him like a normal woman. Right. But then afterwards. <laughs> That's when it became bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't hate that. I think I just kind of don't like it in the same way that I don't like most of the information that's brought about through that, you know, that happenstance that it's just like... Yeah, I think it was a good idea, though. Like, that's that's what I'm saying, is I think that could have been done a lot better than it ended up being done. And maybe that just has to do with the fact that Bong Joon-ho didn't write the script. He just gave this idea to somebody else, and then they wrote it like that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know how closely they work together, you know? I assume pretty closely. But still, I, I, I mean, it's closely. odd that he didn't write this because he wrote Parasite. That was great. It's a great script. I don't know. Maybe it's, it could, it could be anything. Could be that like the writer was more established and he, that's true. You know, it was early on in his career or something. Yeah. It was 2009. So yeah, I think the one that put him on the map was the host. I think. I still haven't seen that. I watched it a really long time ago. Mm. I don't really remember it. Yeah. And he made a comedy. Snowpiercer. I did not like Snowpiercer that much. It's been a while since I've seen it. Last time I saw that, I was really fucked up with Derek <laughs> while we were eating uh, pasta with fish sauce, and he found a crab fuck? leg in his pasta sauce, and I was like, dude, there's no crab leg. And he was like, no, dude, I, I found a crab leg, and I didn't even bother to look. I was like, there's no, there's no crab leg, and there's a crab leg. <laughs> And I don't remember the movie. Did you, did you, <laughs> was it one singular crab leg? That was it. There was only one. So that's that's why I didn't fun. believe it. Cause I typically, you don't. My grandma would not give you a crab, crab leg. Legs. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and if my grandma mouth. gave anybody a crab leg, it should have been me. If there's one crab leg. <laughs> so one I was a little pissed off. Birthday candle crab leg in the middle of your cake. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, the most I remember from that night is that I was, that we argued about whether or not there was a crab leg in his pasta. <laughs> I don't remember the movie. Yeah, Snowpiercer's not that good. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like Snowpiercer that much. That's what I'll say. That's fair. Also, don't do drug kids. I'm not promoting it. Don't do drug it's kids. It's bad for you. Get sober. <laughs> Get sober before sober up, you Sober up, guys. You drugs. fucking addicts. <laughs> You're fucking weak. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying anyway. to find... I'm looking at his other movies to see who wrote... Okay. Did he write Okja? I think he did. I hope not. <laughs> nah, he did. That's so crazy to be like that. Just like inconsistent with stuff. Um, oh, he also made, I think he made The Handmaiden, which I've heard is, like, really good. Oh, yeah. No, never mind, he didn't. It's just in the IMDb recommended. Oh. <laughs> because, I don't know why, I guess IMDb can answer to that one. But yeah, I, I I really did find myself a lot liking the stuff that I liked, and just being really bored besides that. But then also yeah. feeling like, as a cohesive whole, the parts that I ended up liking or like the aspects of the movie that I ended up liking didn't actually have much to do with like what unfolds in the movie and more had to do yeah. with moments that I liked his directorial style. Yeah, I can see that. I agree with that too. I mean, I think overall, I just, I was, I didn't enjoy the experience that much, you know, like all told. I was like, uh, 
This yeah. is kind of a slog. But there definitely were things I liked about it, and I can recognize that there was some good stuff going on. There's some really good cinematography stuff going on as well um, that reminded me a lot of Parasite, and then Parasite did it in a more refined way, you know? Yeah. I mean, he definitely, uh, I'll give him credit for, like, constantly improving, you know? You can see yeah. that he learns from his mistakes, and even if Parasite is his first good movie, that's okay. That's fine. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to diss him. Parasite is, like, one of those those big movies that people are like oh you have to see this where you kind of don't want to see like it. they're right about it yeah, yeah. no they're uh, they're right about it i mean that's usually my response it's like eh, i don't know yeah i don't want i don't tell me what to watch but <laughs> i'm gonna watch but not because you told me to <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but that was one that i felt like actually lived up to the hype yeah which was good i like that movie a lot that and not, not to get controversial or anything but 12 years of sleep are we moving on already <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I, have a whole lot to say about this. I'll be, I'll be honest. Yeah, I don't either. I think, yeah, I liked the actually one character that I did kind of end up liking, but then not liking how he was handled was the friend. Mm-hmm. I like that he was kind of like the skis ball, but then almost had like a heart of gold because he yeah could have just like dropped the mom and like I like that he took the money and like and like right. basically like extorted her. And right. then was like, okay, I'll help you. But I am right. keeping the money, but I will help <laughs> Felt you. Felt kind of bad about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she's, she's not totally wrong about him being a skis ball. Yeah, no, he's he's total skis He was ball. still his friend. So he was yeah. like, well, I want to help my friend out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. So I did like that. I did like that. And then I, I felt lot, like actually. after he served his purpose, though, he kind of got like dropped by the narrative for the most part. Yeah. And I felt Characters like... Characters kind of came in and out. Yeah, yeah. Like the daughter of the the uh bar owner they set it up as her having this thing with him but then she is with the other guy and i thought there was gonna be some sort of conflict but there wasn't they were just all chilling well i don't, I don't yeah. know i think i kind of got the read from like that situation that like any any situation when there's like a girl with both of them like they're kind of they give him like the boy or the kid attention but they kind of like obviously are attracted to the friend yeah i can see that I don't know. Okay, so I was confused about that character too, because I was like, is she also mentally challenged or is she like twelve? <laughs> I like she I has think... this like like pastel blue backpack and this like checkered schoolgirl skirt. And the first scene we see her in is the mom like shooing her away after she like what like comes back. Well, I guess not comes back from school because it's like two in the morning. But yeah, <laughs> it is just like what is she's like. I got the feel, and she reads comic books. Which is what kids do. I think she was supposed to be very young. She was I think she was supposed to hey, read books. comic books. She reads anime books. She, I mean, they don't even write it the right on. way. They write it backwards. I mean, come on. She's the reading like that? come on. She's reading Stardust Crusaders like a like a baby like a <laughs> volume kid. six. Yeah, one of my favorites. Saying it's the climax with Kakyoin on the cover, and we all know that Kakyoin. <laughs> You know, he's probably, I mean, based on the, this, the, the enemies that he has to take down in most of the book, I mean, it's probably not the climax. It could be the climax. He is involved. It was, that was the, the biggest inaccuracy in this whole That thing. was what pissed me off the most. He was like, it's the yeah. climax and there's no indication that Dio is even like in that section of it. And that's what pissed me off. But. They really filmed that in a dishonest way too, because we should have gotten an over the shoulder shot <laughs> of the pages so that we could understand as the audience that this is It should have just been... Still frames of each page of the book <laughs> for, for 40 minutes in the middle of the movie. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think she was supposed to be very young. 
Yeah, I think so too. I'm glad we're on the same page about that. So 12 years of slave. Anyway, 12 years of schoolgirl. <laughs> All right, Tyler, let's move on to 12 years of slave. I liked it a lot. Me too. thought it was very, very good. I liked it from pretty much every angle. I thought the performances and especially the script were really good. I felt like the script was really like a, a, a less is more approach and the delivery really sold the lines. It was very simple and didn't, I didn't feel like held your hand too much. Like the dynamics always come in play. It's like how things are, are delivered and how, how Solomon, I loved how his dialogue and delivery changes on who he's talking to. He's always trying to survive by either presenting himself as intelligent and as who he really is or trying to take a step back because he doesn't want to face retribution for being intelligent. Yeah. So he's always playing that kind of chess game yeah. of, of changing his diction, changing his vocabulary, depending on who he's talking to. And I thought that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when he like the way that he operates with Benedict Cumberbatch's character and like, yeah. he's, he's very eloquent and like not afraid of his intelligence. And then he kind of gets like punished for it by, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who's in like all of these movies. The, Paul the Dano? Guy, is that his, yeah, Paul Dano. The and little he, creep? Yeah. <laughs> the perfect <laughs> guy to play like a sociopath. Yeah, it's a skis ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he like basically gets in trouble for that and then, you know, has to leave. And then he goes to this, um, he goes to Michael Fassbender's place. And the way that he communicates with Michael Fassbender is so much mm. more plain and like, like a, an uneducated slave. Right. And it's, it's really interesting how it, it's, it just, it's just like, he'll, he's just like doing what he can to try and like present himself in a way that he's, is, is going to lead to his survival. I think is really cool. Definitely. Yeah, and I liked how towards the end, too, when he starts, it starts really sinking in and he just like can't take it. Like he starts to talk to Michael Fassbender's character with more eloquence in certain moments when he's like kind of fighting him on something. Yeah. It kind of comes out and he can't help himself because he just needs to fight back in some way. I really like that. I thought Michael Fassbender did a great job, too. All the performances I thought were excellent. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch, not a bad American accent. Actually. No, he did a good job. Yeah, I liked I liked his his role a lot too, because yeah. he plays it he plays it kind of charismatically and and overly sympathetic and you know even though he is also a slave owner, you know? yeah. yeah, it's like he plays it in a way that is almost sympathetic until you remember that he owns slaves. Yeah, well, I love you know? that back and forth that he had with um, Eliza. I think yeah. That like Eliza, I, I I really love the dynamic between like all the enslaved characters basically because they have mm. this like like it's it's just this constant like erratic changing of of loyalty and like character which I think is mm. also reflected in how he speaks but it, it starts first when they're on the boat and they're talking like yeah we could probably take the crew and then when they land. Um, the guy who he's been friends with, like as soon as he sees his old master, like freeing him, he like runs into his arms and and, yeah. like, and like cries in his arms. So he's like gets cradled, and it's just like just like that. It's like it, it feels like betrayal, but it's understandable because it's like this this struggle to make sure you're like as safe as you can possibly be. Right. And and right. this kind of overturning of principles. It's like you have principles for the moment, and then all of a sudden, when your safety is in danger. And like this like horrible system, like you have to kind of go with it, even though it's horrible. And I I think right. one of my favorite moments of that is when he's getting chewed out by Eliza for being friendly with Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Mm. And he's saying like, he's basically making the case that like, he's a respectable guy and like, he's not like 
others in that it's like under the circumstances and she is like ringing them out and they're going right. back and forth and then they leave really sour and then like the very next scene she's getting dragged off to get whipped and she's like screaming for him to come and help her and he obviously doesn't and it's like right it just does such a good job of like showing the really human side of of the system yeah uh, it never really feels like it's taking an expansive look of like the actual like it doesn't feel like ken burns or anything like that right. you know it's right. like this really personal account of these of the instances where like the effects are shown on such a small scale definitely yeah yeah i really like that it really does humanize the situation and what enslaved people had to deal with and kind of uh gives an understanding too of why why you saw when when abolition was coming or, or happening how some people chose to stay with the masters because or the slavers, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them, like stay with them because so used to this overly oppressive, unstoppable machine that it just feels like something could happen or that they could go free and then get kidnapped again. And then they'd be even more worse off, you yeah. know, because there's, there's no faith in the system because there should be no faith in the system because tons of people are being freed and then just kidnapped again because it's still there, even though by law in certain states, they're free. The overall system is still there and still controls at things just because of the law of the people that doesn't necessarily reflect what is actually changing and how it doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. You can't just pass the law and right. then it's all over, you know, it doesn't mean yeah. it's ended. And, you know, you see rippling effects from it for years and years and years, but to see that, you know, the immediate first years and how, how much of a backlash and a fight there was for the preservation of that, even when it was going against the law, because uh, basically they had no respect for the law. You, you saw after the, the slavers bring them over in the ship and uh, one of the, the masters provides the paperwork, he tries to invalidate. He'd be like, no, 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 we found him. He's ours. Like they really have to fight for it to like get him back because they have, it's not about the law. It's not about what is granted to them. They just think they deserve it. And that was really interesting to see. Yeah, I, I I think that's really interesting too, and I think is I think it's demonstrated well in that flashback that they show of of Solomon shopping with his family, and this uh like relatively well dressed black man walks in, and you think that he's free, and then he like acts all shifty and like strange, mm. and then it turns out that he's enslaved, and they're in, like the visiting in the north, and it's really interesting to see like what you brought up with like the laws too. Is that like even in it's like you it's how they like ingrain the idea that you are a part of this legal system that exists even outside of the boundaries where it exists. Like you're still right. It's like you're um like like a slave embassy or something that wherever you go, the land that you step on is enslaved land. Right. Uh, which um you know was a huge thing for the Dred Scott case and was also this you know. What happened with um what they showed in the epilogue too was that he tried to take the, his owners to court and then he couldn't because like in the South he wasn't allowed to testify against white people because yeah I think it was in D.C. actually or no 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 was it Washington State or or D.C. No it was D.C. I don't even know yeah. if Washington State was a thing then I think it might have still been a territory oh I don't know but, but yeah um yeah like in D.C. you know the nation's capital they weren't allowed to. To testify, even though the law was technically on his side, it just wasn't going to happen because, you know, yeah. if the people who are in charge don't decide to not follow it, there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. You know, in the short term, at least. I, I really feel like this movie had such an interesting, 
I guess style to it because it felt I didn't realize that I had seen another one of this guy's movies, but I also watched this one called Hunger, mm-hmm. and it just has this almost like it feels really real, and then almost has this like magical feeling to it in like the worst way, mm-hmm. kind of like um, Come and See almost, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. just like this stuff that is so brutal, but not even not only brutal because like me, like many movies are more like technically brutal than this, and more people die. Right. But the way that it's presented in this way that is like almost like delirious or like dissociated from reality and just like is is really interesting. Like especially the scene when he's going to deliver, he's going to some other plantation and he just runs into that lynching mob. Yeah. And like it's this really weird, like not really related to the plot kind of side story moment where like it's only there for a second and, and almost like adds nothing. But right. it's just this almost like ethereal, like none of these characters have been here before. None of them are going to come back into the story. But this is just something that you could like walk through the woods and just like stumble upon. Right. Like it almost feels right. like an old like fable or something. Yeah. No, I, I see what you mean. It's yeah. it's sort of it's like so it's like so based in, in reality that the this the surreality really comes through and exposes these things that at the time were taken for granted. But looked at in this way you see i mean obviously you know everybody knows like how uh, absurd these institutions were in the first place but presenting them in that way really drives that point home i think of just how odd it was and the division too between people who were pro uh abolition and people who were against it how like the very stark uh difference between how they treated black people Two was this. Re- it's like these two clashing realities that don't coexist. Yeah, and that they're just both in their completely different worlds. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I especially like how the movie opens. It opens with like the shot of the the slaves learning how to make cane, but it has these like two really interesting shots where it's just like the camera kind of drifting through the cane that feels like really dreamlike. Yeah, almost like like over the garden wall or something where the beginning shots are like the murky water (laughs) it's like it reminds me of that where it's like this entrance into like this nightmare yeah but it feels very dreamlike it feels very like uh, um removed or something yeah i definitely agree i feel like that feeling that nightmarish quality was definitely there throughout the whole movie and something i liked a lot was the opening sequence when he is first kidnapped how there's this constant rhythm to it and you have this really like industrial rock going on in the background yeah i noticed that too that you wouldn't expect in a period piece like that yeah but it's that whole sequence they when they're on the boat it keeps cutting to the machinery and how everything's whirring and there's that constant constant rhythm and it gives you this feeling of this this nightmarish unstoppable machine that he is now caught in i thought that was very cool and not i did not expect that yeah yeah, I, I I caught that too. I'm yeah, I'm glad that you said that because I I was especially the cut like straight to the huge water wheel on the back of the steamship. Yeah, and it's just like the and it. I remember thinking like, what the hell is this music playing in the back? Yeah, because <laughs> it felt it felt so odd to me that I almost didn't like it. And then once it kind of sank in and like I had some time to 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 really like marinate with it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was a great choice that I I wouldn't expect from a movie like this at all. Yeah. I, another scene that I really liked was the scene with um, Marty Wolf's ancestor where they're auctioning off the slaves. It's where Benedict Cumberbatch buys Platt and Eliza. And they, yep. it's like this weird, it, it reminded me a lot of like a 
a movie like a weird like those weird italian like french movies from the 70s where there's just like naked people for no reason in them right like in this one there is a reason for it but it's just like it's like this it actually reminded me of like the Corova milk bar from clockwork orange a little bit with the Mm. same like it's like kind of like frightening and weird but it's like trying to be jovial yeah there's all this like horrible stuff going on and it but it's not only like horrible in that you can point to something bad going on and say like that's horrible but it has this like weird just mix of like music playing and like very well-dressed white people and like naked black people just standing there and like getting observed and it's yeah it's i feel like a lot of work went into making that scene like feel like again like what you said with like these clashing worlds of just like there's all this really uppity like really lavish stuff going on and then like in the exact same space it's not even like underneath it's like that's what's so strange about it and i think gives me that feeling of like this weird mix it's like it's 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 not like it's in those movies where it's like yeah it shows you what looks nice and then shows you the underbelly it's like yeah it's like mixed it's like yes. right there and they don't even try to hide it yes I really love how that scene ends with the like screams of the children being separated from their mother and then Solomon tries to like drown it out by playing the violin. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah, definitely. There's that constant clash that again is that sort of surreal, almost dreamlike feeling where there's always just this weird contrast that just feels so wrong. Again, not just because it is wrong on the, on a moral level. But just how it's presented. Like another scene that I really thought was very effective um, and did the same thing is when they are trying to hang Solomon, and then the other guy chases him off, but leaves Solomon just dangling there on his tiptoes right. because he doesn't. He has to wait for the plantation owner to come to, like, yeah, to decide, decide what to do. Yeah. yeah, and he's just standing there dangling for so long. I love how long that shot lingered too. Yeah, and you know the other enslaved people behind him just kind of start doing their chores and yeah. are kind of walking around and the owner's wife is looking down from the porch and he's just dangling there like just on the like literally just on the edge you know yeah very very well done yeah I'm trying to think if there's like anything i didn't really like about it i thought that that brad pitt's character his conversation with michael fassbender's character felt kind of weird to me where he was just like he just kind of outright was like, you know, owning slaves is bad, right? Right. And I was just like, would he, would, would someone really say this to a, to a guy who, it felt almost like just so, such a strange occasion where he's like, you know what you're doing is wrong. And by the way, I, I am going to be working for you, but like you're, you're a coward and a fool and like you're going to yeah. be judged. And I was like, even if he thinks these things and that guy was a real guy. Right. And he was an abolitionist, but I was just like, would he be that confrontative? It seemed kind of it's it seemed like much more abrupt and kind of upfront than any other part of the movie. Yeah, I can see that. And kind of for me, undercut. I think there could have been a lot of like interesting. Like if they didn't do that, they could have had a lot of like tension in the scene where Solomon decides to actually confide in him. Because I feel like in the scene where Solomon decides to confide in him, he's like all nervous about bringing it up, which is understandable. But it's like this guy clearly like stated his like tenets of morality in front of you like three right. scenes ago right so i don't feel like you should be that worried about saying anything to him. well i think i think the purpose of that was that solomon trusted uh the other white worker before him who was also not up front to michael fassbender's character but up front 
to Solomon about thinking that it was wrong. Right. And so Solomon trusts him fairly quickly and then has his trust betrayed. And so Brad Pitt's character comes out and is even very upfront about it to Michael Fassbender because of what just happened, even though it looks like in plain sight, this guy is going to be on my side. Right. He has to be even more careful now because he just got betrayed. Right. So I thought, I, I, I definitely see what you were saying and I, I had similar thoughts, but I think it worked for me in that he was so upfront and it showed how much trust that Solomon had lost. Yeah. Even despite him being completely upfront about his, his moral opinions. But I will say it didn't seem entirely realistic to me in that, with Michael Fassbender's character, you'd think he'd maybe just fire him. Yeah, I thought so too. I was like, I feel like he would be more angry about this. Yeah, like it seemed weird. I'm interested to see how what like how it happens in the book. Right, how it actually happens. I actually read the book a long time ago, like four years ago, and I don't remember mm. how how it happened. Yeah, I'd be very curious to read. I it. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, if I remember correctly. I'd imagine. But yeah, I re- one thing that I do remember is that I remember Patsy not being that big of a character in the book. I think she's a much bigger character in this, mm. which I think was a good choice because I think it, it, you know, I mean, I'm not one of those people who's like, you need to be exactly as it happened. Like if it says right. it's based on a true story, you know, it says it's based on it. Yeah. It doesn't say it is a true story. Right. That's the thing is or that it doesn't say it's like the exact recounting of the true story. Right. And why would you, you really wouldn't be able to do that. It would be a, a completely fraught exercise to try to even do that. Yeah. And I think you can still get to a truth by bringing in some elements that aren't 100% accurate, but mm-hmm. accurately portray what you're trying to say, even if it is yeah. based off of somebody's, as long as it isn't something that just completely misrepresents the situation. If it's something that represents the situation in an accurate way, but isn't 100% accurate to reality, I think that is still very valuable and can in some ways, like you said, that very human element where characters that may not have been explained as much in the book in the true story get fleshed out more in this because that's what this is trying to convey is the human side of it. Yeah, and like who's going to argue that that like that stuff that happened to Patsy wasn't at least capable of happening to her. Exactly. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I I think actually now that we're talking about Patsy and I remember what you were saying earlier about like Solomon's speech changing mm-hmm. was that like when Michael Fassbender's character is is takes the whip from Solomon and starts whipping Patsy and he ha- he he almost goes on like this like religious tirade Solomon against him and he's like he's using <laughs> like three syllable words saying like he's going to be judged in heaven after this is all over and like great sin and yeah. everything and I was like it's such an interesting cuz I feel like the most of the way that he talks to Michael Fassbender is what he thinks like a a slave would talk like right and then he just like in this moment of just like rage and like disbelief he's just like going at him like very eloquently yeah and i liked again too like it, it shows his strategy in that michael fassbender at least acts to be this very christian person so yeah. he attacks him in the same way that michael fassbender understands and how he almost talks he turns it on him yeah and tries to attack him from that perspective from that angle I thought that yeah. was, again, like a really cool way to show how his tactics are, are changing. Yeah, I one of the moments that I really loved was when uh, he arrives at Michael Fassbender's plantation and they're getting, I think like all the new slaves are getting a sermon. And the guy giving the sermon is like, 
it's like some passage about like serving your Lord. And he's like, and you will like act and clothe yourself in the way that the Lord, that is a master, by the way. (laughs) It's like they think people are like so stupid that they like, there's no chance of understanding subtext. Right. I I loved that moment like so much because it was just like, it was such a nice, like very quick way of just stating like the attitude of all these slave owners towards the people that they own. Right, right. In a way that was very efficient and like entertaining. It was just like I agree, yeah. Like this, it's like like when a movie holds your hand and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, what are you what are you doing? He's just like the Lord who is your master. By the way, yeah. you will clothe yourself how your master wants you to be clothed. Right, it's like, right. I love that, and I like too how that basically saying that is blasphemous in itself. In that he's comparing himself to God um, and using that yeah. as his justification. And I thought it was really interesting, too, that he thought he was being, he thought that God was, like, sending him plagues and blamed it on the slaves. But I, but in a way, too, you can tell that he's... Has, like, no idea what he's talking about. Right. And that it is, like, kind of shaking him, too. That he, like, wants to blame it on them, but he's not quite sure underneath it, you know? And it starts to erode that, which I don't, you know, I, I don't think he ever comes to a place where he realizes what he's doing is wrong, but... It's like he has to push those feelings. It's like a cognitive dissonance that he has to push down. Where he's like literally having this like pestilence come upon him. And he has to be like, no, right. no, it can't be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't really. Oh, the lighting was really good. Mm. I really enjoyed the lighting. I thought like it was, it's one of those movies where like it's not incredibly stylistic with the lighting. So it's not like it really stands out as like, wow, that was like crazy interesting. Yeah. But it's like, it's. I was noticing a couple times like just how good a lot of like the outdoor lighting because like so much of this movie is outdoors too, which is really hard yeah. to light well. And like they do a lot of like soft light in outdoor shots and it's just it's just lit like so well. Yeah. I, yeah. I really noticed that a couple times. One moment I did notice that I really liked, excuse me, with light that was stylized was when he's first kidnapped and he wakes up and he's in that r- prison basically, that, that cell. Mm-hmm. And... He wakes up and he's just framed in this like squ- this rectangle of light that is just barely bigger than his body in this dark space. Mm-hmm. So even though he is in like a larger room, it really gives that feeling of claustrophobia and like being stuck now in this box. Yeah. I like that a lot. I that was very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really have that much more to say, honestly. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I just, yeah, I really liked it across the board. Oh, one example of, of that very uh, like less is more dialogue was the scene you were talking about when um, Solomon is at the the store and the guy who is still enslaved comes in and then uh, his master comes in behind him and he says, oh, I'm so sorry for the intrusion. And Solomon turns and just says, um, no intrusion. And it's just very simple. It's just such short, yeah. simple lines yeah. and the delivery just shows their dynamics so well and the, the acting, yeah. the performances. It's very cool. It just shows that you don't have to go above and beyond. You don't have to you know, get crazy complex with dialogue for it to be impactful. Yeah, you can just say it. Yeah, right. But yeah, no, overall, I just really liked it. That was a, a very solid movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think one last thing that I liked was in the end scene when, or one of the, the last scene when he's a slave, when he's getting like freed. Yeah. And I, I like, there's just like so much tension in it because you're like, oh my God, this is going to go wrong. Like, you, yeah, just, know, like, you right. just feel like it's going to go wrong. And um, I love the way that he kind of like his whole like, slave persona that he's been using to get along at Michael Fassbender's plantation like just falls away yeah and he just like really starts speaking like he's Solomon Northrop again yeah and he just like I-, I love the like physicality of like all the the men like fighting over him and like mm. 
every like grabbing onto him and like trying to make him not even like paying attention to any of them. He's just trying to get to the carriage. Right. He like I think Michael Fassbender like lets go of him and he just like stumbles and like clutches onto the carriage. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just like he's just like not gonna let go. Absolutely. And then he does let go for Patsy, but I, I, yeah, that's such a horrible scene too. I, I mean, know. it's a great scene. Yeah. Right. But, but then just it's just so like depressing. It just sucks because it's just like. All he can do is just, like, hug her and then just, like, leave her forever. Right. It's There's nothing so he can do, you know? And yeah. I, I really like the parallel, too, of him running into the arms of his white friend, a parallel to the earlier slave ship scene where mm. the slave runs into his master's arms. And even though, you know, his friend views him as an equal and it's not that relationship, it really shows that, you know, even when you're with people who view you as an equal, there is still... You know, he's only seen as an equal because of his connection. Right, because he has this white guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Yeah. Really hit hard. I liked it. Me too. All right, Tyler. So let's let's uh uh rate these let's movies. Number these babies yeah. up, yeah. So um uh mother, I'll let you go first. I would give mother a six and a half. I'll say a six. I was thinking a five at first, based on my enjoyment level, but then thinking about it, I was thinking no, that's not fair to just say it was completely mediocre because there were yeah. some really good ideas in there. I just didn't enjoy it that much. Um, yeah. But I'll say, I, 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 I yeah. think fairly, objectively, a six. Yeah, there was enough in it that I enjoyed that um, I, I would give it a six and a half. And I just feel like most of my most of my like not enjoying it comes from it just being boring in the parts that yeah. I didn't like. <laughs> right. But that doesn't like detract from me liking the other parts. I just wish that they were like strung together better. Yeah. So. Right. You just watch Parasite. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna watch his other stuff because I hear other other stuff of his is really good. Yeah, I probably will. I heard this was really good though. Yeah, so I don't well. know. But anyway, um, I think for me, Twelve Years a Slave, I would uh, give it an eight out of ten. I would give it probably eight and a half. Yeah, liked it. Yeah, that was good stuff. All right, so next week, um, I am choosing. They shall not grow old. It is a restored, colorized footage documentary about World War One. I feel like it was directed by somebody big. Yeah, it was uh, the guy who did the Lord of the Rings. Oh, was it really? Peter Jackson. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, wow. Been meaning to watch that one for a very long time, so I'm, I'm excited about that. What about you, Ty? Okay, well, I'm going out on an interesting limb here. I okay. want to nominate a movie called And Everything is Going Fine, which is a also a documentary, kind of like a kind of like a biography documentary. It's a piece together footage and I think interviews about this guy, Spalding Gray, who was a monologuist, but was also the actor who played the stage manager in the version of Our Town that's mm. absolutely fucking fire. And um, it was put together by Steven Soderbergh after um, Spalding Gray killed himself in 2004. And I think it would be really interesting because he's supposedly very, yeah. very good. So Sweet, yeah. That's free on Criterion. Let's check it out. Excellent. A little, little docu-talk next week, huh? <laughs> cool. All right, that's going to be it for us, guys, because I have to shit really bad. That's a wrap, boys. <laughs> See you next week for some depressing stuff. 